everyone meteorologist ed russo here with another edition of it's raining mets tom yeah. russell also uh, this is us. where we get to talk weather, and uh, it's Tom Russell from uh, CBS 21 Television joining Ed. Uh, so the two of us get to wrap a little bit about uh, weather, and uh, surprisingly, as much as we work together, we don't always get to talk about uh, weather stuff in depth, so this will be a little fun for us. Yeah, and we've we've had kind of interesting weather over the past, I'd say, month with the, with the tropics. Um, it's also been, we had that September heat at the very beginning of the month. Yeah, that was crazy. We had one, yeah. two, three, four, five days in the 90s from the 3rd through the 7th. Ironic because the the overall pattern in the summer was on the cool side. We didn't have that many days in the 90s. So we kind of made up for lost time there at the beginning of September. Um, and as a result, September's been way above average because that really skewed the numbers. And it's been a warm month, but we're finally kind of evening things out with these cooler days and uh, really cool cool nights as well. I love this weather. Oh, yeah, especially in the morning. Oh, it's been really nice. Yeah. Really nice. You know, the heat um, at the beginning of September wasn't, yeah. it, it wasn't, um, it was like a drier heat. I mean, it really wasn't that crazy humid. I mean, we were right. 95, 96, 97 degrees, but. Yeah, September like... 4th was uh, 97. But you're right, it wasn't that oppressive because it wasn't that humid. And and you don't mind it as much, you know. It's that dry heat, as they say. And, yeah. Yeah, so it's been a it's been a great summer. I think, uh, you know, summer wraps up here uh, this weekend. So what we're seeing is basically a summer that's going to be about average, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think but, so. But, but that itself is significant because the last couple have been so warm, particularly the last two, where we had 30-some days in the 90s. This year, we've only had, uh, I think it's 19, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, something like that. Yeah, yeah, so I'm looking at, you know, longer term, too. I was actually diving into the, some longer term stuff yesterday. And What do you think? I, um, I'm feeling like near normal uh, through the first half of October, but... I'm seeing like a, a cooler pattern develop for the second half of next month. Right. So that's kind of what we talked about uh, with an El Nino pattern that we'd get a little bit of an earlier onset of the cooler stuff. Um, and we'd kind of dive into fall on, a, on the chilly note. So you see that the second half of October, that's what you're saying. Yeah. And I think we'll see more bouts, you know, into November and, and December. I still think our, you know, most wintry period, so to speak, is going to come after the new year. But I do think all in all, uh, we're going to see a obviously a more typical central PA winter than what we've seen the past, what, three years? Oh, easily, easily. So a lot of folks have been asking me, uh, you know, what's it going to be? And I, obviously with an El Nino type pattern, you're going to have uh, a lot more of those mixed bag precipitation. Uh, we get this cold early, like you and I are talking about, that's gonna make things pretty interesting early on where you could see some wintry precipitation um, early on. Although the last couple, remember, was it last year, the year before we had that November snowstorm, even though it was a mild winter overall, remember that? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes still you get curveballs like that. Right, you right. Know, throughout the season. But we think the overall pattern means a more active winter, more wintry precipitation, and uh, kind of away from where we've been. Because the last two winters really haven't been winter. I mean, they're so wild. Yeah, so that's that uh, that snowblower you got three years ago. You might be able to use it this year. <laughs> All right, so you're predicting snowblower sales uh, are going up, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually tied to the snowblower industry, so 
Um, I'm going to get a lot of returns from saying this. <laughs> well, a lot of people, I, you know, as much as we complain about winter, I think a lot of people are actually ready for a decent winter here in central PA, because like you said, alluding to the snowblowers, people who plow, people who actually make a living off of wintry precipitation, they've been hurt in the last two years. Yeah. It's not that everyone's rooting for a problematic winter, but when you live in an area that has a, you know, it's, it's, by nature, it's part of the characteristic right. of this region, but it's viewed as problematic by many. Many, there are lots of jobs that depend on those problems that an area just has inherently, and we don't have them. Yeah, there, it's convenience for a lot of people because you don't have to deal with the snow, but the cost of uh, the people that get paid to fix the problem when there is no problem anymore, right. you know, it... it yeah, I mean it. It can hurt that business. So think about it like that. Speaking of those ancillary businesses, last year, if you recall, right before Christmas, that was when we got cold and really cold, like down to five degrees. And there were a couple of places, a couple of local restaurants that actually flooded because uh, pipes froze and the yeah. uh, the sprinkler systems froze and whatnot. Um, so yeah, there's people who have businesses uh, for repairing that kind of stuff that happens, uh, you know, in in a harsher winter. So. I think that may come back a little more active this year, too. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. All right. So uh, early onset of the colder stuff, that's what we can look forward to. Tropical season. We You mentioned it uh, when we started talking here that things got real active real quick around Labor Day and uh, over the last month or so. But what happened with Hurricane Lee is a very strong, very large hurricane moved through the Atlantic and it causes what we call upwelling. It brings that cooler air up in the bottom of the ocean and that kind of squashes things a little bit. So what's your take tropically moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think especially, you know, Lee was, um, uh, I, I wouldn't say, I'm going to backtrack a little bit here. We're going to come back to what you said. You know, Lee did turn into a category five storm, but, you know, it was brief. And I, I wouldn't say that, um Lee's characteristics were really abnormal. It was your typical intense Atlantic hurricane during the peak of hurricane season. I mean, the way the media is reporting it makes yeah. it seem like this is an event that hasn't happened before. First off, it was far weaker and wasn't even tropical when it made landfall in the in the Canadian Maritimes. It brought Correct. big surf to the East Coast. That's what happens in September. Right. You know, and and I can tell you as a surfer. You know, we're all drooling for the month of September because we know that chances are high that there's going to be a powerful hurricane in the Atlantic. That's why September is such a great surf season along the East Coast, because climatologically, right around peak, we oftentimes have a category four, even five that's spinning out in the mid-Atlantic or, or it's spinning out in the Atlantic. There's nothing right. unusual about that. Nothing. Not and, at all. You know, people need to calm down. You know, it's. You know, there's nothing unusual about about it. It was a, your typical, classical, yep. intense hurricane that happened right when it should, right when water temperatures are warmest. And guess what? It didn't survive Category 5 status because of the ongoing influence of El Nino and wind shear. You know, it, yep. it, it struggled. As and it, we, went, it went to a place that's overdue for uh, for a big storm like that. So New England's been spared for many, many years. And, you know, like you said, this time it didn't hit Boston. It didn't hit 
you know, a major metropolitan area. I went to Nova Scotia, basically. Um, so it, it just kind of says, hey, this area gets it too. Back in the, the 40s and 50s, the storms would hit Rhode Island, uh, Connecticut, New York. I mean, we just haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, I know the Daily Mail had an article out that said Category 5 storm to unleash its fury along the East Coast. That's so misleading. Like, where, where, where do you get that information? I mean, it's a Category 5 storm now. Where, what? There's not even a single model that was showing that. Right. I mean, I, I feel, I seriously feel like some people who are trying to report on this just make stuff up because they're too lazy to actually figure out what the science is behind it. And I don't expect these people to understand the science, but but stop just thinking that that you know what's going to happen by just assuming things and not just going to you know somebody with expertise and adding asking him a question. I mean, I, I just can't figure out why those headlines would come out unless they're just lazy. I mean, well, but let's face it, it's part of the hype machine. Everybody wants the headline. Everybody wants the the next thing to be the worst thing ever. Yeah, it's, but what, it does. It, it's not our industry. It's not hard to just talk to an expert and kind of dial it down. You but know, when people see those headlines and it doesn't happen, it hurts us because then yes. they think that um, then they think that that we were wrong. Well, we weren't wrong because we never said that you right. said that you made it up. You know, but, and then but we're the trains already left it. the station. I don't think you're going to get people to not hype these things because, uh, unfortunately, in this day of of clicks, that's what people get. You know, you get the clicks by the big uh, headline. Yeah, yeah, and I got to tell you, there's some even meteorology enthusiasts online oh, who are also oh, yes. hyping things up for clicks. Oh yes, oh yes, you and I get frustrated by that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a it's definitely a, a beast. So is tropical season over then? I'll throw it to you that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I, going to be, I, I think at least, I think we could still see some pretty strong hurricanes out, out in the Atlantic. But, you know, especially the the uh, southern portion of the North Atlantic, right, you know, the same latitude as the Cape Verde Islands. Okay. Because um, your warm water out there goes down really deep. Yeah, it's still your warm water, water layer is just not as deep off the east coast and the warm water that's gradually filtering back in is pretty shallow so right. anytime you get a storm that goes over it it's still going to get some of that upwelled water from lee because lee was a i mean it was a big storm it was, it was for a, a long hurricane, time yeah. so it, it turned up a lot of water and that kind of there's a wake yep literally a wake and that can put a damper on the on moving forward so we sure. had uh, as we record this we have nigel out there which a decent storm, but that stays out to sea. We call that a fish storm. Um, so we'll still we'll still see a couple of name storms. The other thing that happens is uh, we're going to get this low pressure along the Atlantic coast. So whether it's one of those storms that may or may not get a name, but it's still tropical moisture that drifts into the U.S. and uh, we may see some of that as well. So that's what happens too. On the other side, instead of like you're saying, the big strong storms out to sea, you get these little waves that develop close to land and they become, you know, pretty good rainmakers. Yeah. And, you know, it's the way this is set up, you know, it's it's kind of similar to in some aspects to an East Coast snow event where you got high pressure to the north. Right. So there's going to be parts of the area, especially northwest parts of the view. 
a sneeze has suddenly overtaken it are you okay yeah i've never i've never sneezed on a recording before well, or a live broadcast there's always I, a first i right? thought i could tame it but i couldn't because <laughs> sometimes you just gotta let it out and then you, you gotta go it. there you go yeah uh, you needed a cough button on your yep. back but there you go so <laughs> you know you got high pressure sitting to the north so so that provides cooler air so i think with the right setup i mean i I know, I think Saturday could be on the cool side, especially if the clouds come in super early and we yeah, do get, get enough rain. Easterly I mean, flow, yep. We, we may not get out of the low 60s. Wow. On on Saturday, I could see that happening. But uh, again, there's going to be a, a sharp northwestern edge where I could see Mifflin, Juniata getting nothing. But then once right. you get over towards Coryville, I, I'm saying this is a one scenario. Coryville could get two to three inches. Right. That that sharp cutoff, like you said. Yeah. Uh, but that easterly flow is everything that the mountains come into play and, uh, you know, really becomes a, a dreary day on one side of the mountains and not so much on the other. So um, yeah. but that, that kind of scenario can play out here as we move into the uh, in the cooler months. Yes, yes, totally agree. You know, pretty typical for, you know, the second half of September when you see something like this. Okay, so, so far we've got uh, cooler winter uh, coming our way. We've got uh, tropical season winding down a little bit, in our opinion. And now, add the most important subject, lanternflies. I have not seen them. You, being our bug expert in CBS 21, your take on the lack of lanternflies. You know, I, I, I've i seen some. I, I don't know if it's – I haven't done a story and I haven't interviewed any real experts on it recently, but um, – I was reading an article not long ago about, you know, the, the, the lantern fly is an invasive species. It obviously does not. Um, it was originally thought that just the, the taste of them, nothing really liked to eat them. Well, that's really not the case. Birds do actually eat them. Oh, and praying mantises, praying mantises devour them. So I think we could actually be seeing a natural correction. But I'm certain they migrate, don't they? And they'll just move they, on. They do migrate, but I, I mean, I've seen them, but you know, they're much less this year than they have been in in, in yes. recent years. And maybe some yeah. of the, um, maybe some of the preventative measures that were being asked of people is working. Well, they were saying uh, the stuff that you put around your trees don't do because that was catching other live. Uh, uh, animals like squirrels and birds and stuff were either getting stuck in the sticky stuff or the netting around it. Or same thing with the pesticides or insecticides. If you use them, you're just going to poison other stuff. There's no sense in that. You want to target the specific pest without inadvertently targeting native species. Yeah, that's so hard to do. I mean, that's a real it is hard to do, which is why you know people recommend when you see them, just step them on them with your foot, squash them. There's no pollution in that. Um, so. Uh, do you think we've we've turned the tide with them or i mean we could have i i you know maybe it was just kind of a dead year and next year they come back with a vengeance but i'm simply noting it that this year was definitely less intrusive with the lantern fly than than what we've seen in, in other years and there's still like a lot of signs when you go to state parks when you go to the appalachian trail they warn you if you see this bug kill it on site yeah, they're still um, very invasive. But the other the other interesting thing we're dealing with right now is the migration of the monarch butterfly. Oh yeah, you did a story on this. this is yeah, fascinating. and all the way from Mexico, you said, right? Yeah. So what's interesting about these guys, and uh, I've I've learned a lot from a local gardening expert. I mean, she's she's pretty influential around here, based out of Mechanicsburg. Her name's Heather Andrews. She's oh yeah, a she's awesome. Gardener. Yeah. I mean, she she is like um, the master at clean gardening. 
You yeah. know, I, I, it's a combination of um, being very environmentally friendly with planting a garden, garden and doing it in a clean, natural way. Huh. Um, and, you know, she, she has a ton of pollinators in her yard because of what she plants and what she plants is native to Pennsylvania. So she gets honeybees, she gets all sorts of bees. I mean, there's hundreds of species of bees around here. And she she gets a lot of them. I was, you know, when I did this monarch story the other day, um, she had a lot of pollinators in her garden. That's a sign of a very healthy garden because what those pollinators right. do is then they distribute pollen, which is, and that's that's key in our natural habitat here. Um, and also she has, is officially a, a monarch way station. And she's she's had a couple monarchs come through her yard in the past few days, and and we're getting right around peak. I think the twentieth is. is now wait, you said they actually track them. They actually put little monitors on them. Yeah, yeah. So I put a tag on one. I went to Adams Ritchie with Heather, the thoughtful gardener, and she um she held it. I tagged it on the wing. There's like a a pattern on the on the monarch butterfly's wing that looks like a mitten. So you want to put the tag right over that, huh. and you want to tag the ones um that are part of the greatest generation or fourth generation monarch because the monarchs that are born here in late summer early fall yeah. um they're the ones that have the duty to fly all the way back to mexico about two thousand miles away we're talking about uh, a forest which is basically it's in central mexico it's not just on the other side of texas it's not just on the other side it's not just it's part of mexico down. that borders texas i mean it's deep yeah. within mexico so they, um, they spend winter down there? Is that what yeah, they, they overwinter. So these butterflies, um, so so here's how the story goes. And it repeats every year. It's really a miracle. These fourth generation monarchs fly from here in central mm -hmm. PA, the northern US, Canada, all the way back to Mexico, and they overwinter there. And then in the spring, the fourth generation monarchs fly to Texas. And that is where the fourth generation lays their eggs they breed and they die and they give way to the first generation of that year so the first generation monarchs of 2024 will be born in texas in the early spring and then those butterflies fly around for a few weeks breed and they um have the second generation they make the second generation slightly further north and then the third generation slightly further north than that and the third generation occurs around here we're kind of on the northern edge of it but then after the third generation breed so each generation creeps a little bit further north and then the fourth generation goes all the way to the northern u.s and canada and that's the generation wow. that has the greatest duty so okay, the so fourth not... generation will live six to eight months all the other generations only live a few weeks so they live six to seven times longer and their wing their wingspan is longer because they have that big flight back to mexico in the fall that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, so they're, uh, you know, and the monarch caterpillar, well, its host plant is is milkweed. The monarch butterfly's host plant is milkweed. So they lay their plants on milkweed. Again, milkweed is a naturally occurring native plant to Pennsylvania. So if you want monarchs, have milkweed, milkweed. in your yard. These uh, monarch caterpillars will eat the equivalent of 2,000 cans of baby food in two weeks. That's unbelievable. Well, they Can need that, that. All the work they're doing. Yeah. I, I mean, they're eating machines. <laughs> they eat, poop, sleep, and build a chrysalis or cocoon. <laughs> That's and they wild. spend two weeks in that, and they come out as a monarch butterfly. And when they come out from their cocoon or their chrysalis, they immediately take flight, and they start to fly towards the light of the sun. 
which is puts them on the direct path back to Mexico. And they put them about, they fly about a hundred miles a day south and in between flights, they snack on another plant called goldenrod, which is also native. And it's very widespread across the Eastern United States. And they'll snack on that. Wow. Yep. And they taste everything with their feet. With their feet? With their oh, that's feet. That's interesting. That's wild. Well, yeah, there he and is. It's the so... monarch butterfly that the birds don't like. The, what the birds like is the viceroy, which looks very similar to the monarch. Um, but it's a it's a defense mechanism. So they don't eat the monarchs. They don't eat the viceroy butterflies because they they look like the monarch, which is the real bitter tasting one. You so, sound like you have experience there. Huh? <laughs> you sound I like would you never. I would, I would never do that. <laughs> You're not eating. I, I, that's just what the birds tell me. <laughs> oh, I see. A uh, little birdie told you. That's yeah, a little that. birdie told me. <laughs> well, there. But, yeah, is. I, I mean, what? I mean, how do these these butterflies just know to fly back to where their great grandparents overwintered earlier in the year. I mean, we know humans, you know, with all the technology we have, we all know how smart we are and how intelligent our species is, but you have a, a species on a mass scale that just knows what to do without anyone telling them. It is amazing. You know, and, and that's, that's why this stuff just fascinates me. He is our bug expert. He's Ed Russo. So yeah. uh, you have some great stories on CBS21.com if people want to follow up. But that is amazing. Mexico to Pennsylvania, uh, back again. So this is yeah. the season. Love those. And and, and, was- and the night and and you know the te- you know um, much of the United States doesn't see the fourth generation monarchs. It's only the last generation that, that makes it right that that has a you know it, it, the last generation the fourth generation is is very special in that they're the ones that have to fly all the way back to mexico right it's the northern us and canada that sees that that fourth generation because each generation through the year goes further north in latitude right so it's not like you're not south carolina and north carolina you know they see the the second generation they right. don't see the the fourth generation because they're too far south so all the monarchs you see right now part of that very special fourth generation impressive so get an autograph if you see one is what you're saying yes or tag it tag it so so when these butterflies fly down to mexico scientists in mexico look at the tag and they can see oh this butterfly came from pennsylvania what do you mean tag it who can tag it so you can be a citizen scientist you can actually go online and figure out how to do it you can you can order little 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 tags they're stickers they're adhesive and you basically um there's a little code on the tag like wherever you order the tags to it'll put a code based on where you're ordering them to because they're assuming that oh if you're going to tag them here this is the location code for this area so when when that butterfly flies back to mexico they look at a code that says aguu oh that 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 means central pennsylvania that Uh means this butterfly came from central pennsylvania so and it's important because scientists can actually study the where the population centers of these monarchs are based off of the tagging. Interesting. So if they if they're seeing a lot of tags from Pennsylvania, they'll be able to determine okay, Pennsylvania seems to be a a hot spot for monarch migration. So that's Very what nice. it tells scientists. It's valuable. Well, Ed knows his stuff. Uh, thank you for the information on the uh, butterflies. And, You're welcome. Uh, 
Always great to catch up with you, my friend. Yeah, you too. You're listening to another edition of It's Raining Mets.